morning, everyone. I, for those who I haven't had the opportunity to meet, I am Greg Hubbard, and it's a real pleasure from time to time to be able to uh, share with you and, and to speak. So I'm glad to be able to do that today. Uh, I, I want to ask your forgiveness up front because I'm going to share a story to begin with that some of you have heard before, and I, I realize this, but sometimes there's a story that fits what you want to talk about so perfectly that you, know, you just cannot resist uh, repeating it. And today it's that way as we're going to be talking about providential relationships. There's just no way I cannot go to this story when, I, when, when I'm uh, thinking about that topic. So I want to show you a map, first of all. Uh, there it is, of the United States. Hopefully you recognize that, right, guys? That, that looks familiar. I, everybody. Um, the reason I show you the map, uh, th- it's really strange, the story of how I met my wife, Rebecca. Uh, she was born in the state of Michigan, so... U.S. geography, remember, you can find Michigan, just look toward the top. Uh, She was born in Michigan, spent the first 18 years of her life in Michigan. I was born in the state of Indiana and spent the first 18 years of my life, it's been a while ago now, but in that state. And you'll notice on the map, if you find those two states, something about them. They touch each other, right? They're in close proximity to one another. They're adjoining states. And even though we were born in adjoining states, we never met each other during those 18 years. We never knew about each other during those 18 years. Uh, Then something happened. Within just a few weeks of the same time, uh, we both relocated to the same general area, and that was near uh, where we are today. Rebecca moved to uh, Princeton Junction to uh, be a nanny. This was back in 1994 uh, to to a couple of uh, New York City commuters, and she watched their kids from 7 to 7, Monday through Friday, more or less. So she, she was thinking about going to England. She got in touch with an agency, ended up in Princeton Junction. So that, that was uh, kind of how that worked. Within a few weeks of that, exact same time, I had been living in Colorado, another map exercise there, and, and I had an opportunity to come here during the early days of this church and be part of the pastoral team back when we were meeting over at West Windsor Plainsboro High School. Uh, I moved to Plainsboro, and uh, I, I was there, and it happened to be on one particular Sunday morning, I was handing out the program. Okay, I was handing these guys out at the front door. When Rebecca showed up looking for a church, showed up at that church for the first time. And, and that's how we met, a strange uh, set of circumstances for people who had lived in a, adjoining states most of their lives, moved a long way away, and met each other. We were married about a year after that, and that's been, wow, 17, 18 years ago now. So uh, going back to, I, I don't know how God works these things. I know different people have different theologies on this. Some people think, God is involved in every little thing that happens. If, it's, if you sneeze, God calls you to sneeze, right? Other people are on the other extreme, and they think God kind of wound up the world and let it go, and he lets things play themselves out. Most people land somewhere in between on all that. Regardless of how all that works, I've got to think there's something going on with that, that we met each other. Uh, it's either an amazing coincidence or there was something going on. There was some kind of providential thing going on that, that we would both, within a couple weeks, move so far from where we were both from and, and end up meeting each other. It was an interesting uh, story that, that's worked out very nice for both of us. Uh, rarely have I had things like that happen in my life, though, to be honest with you. That, that's about as weird as it gets. Uh, there's one other time I can think of recently where something kind of like that happened. Uh, I work with uh, Orchard Group. Some of you know an, an organization that plants new churches in New York and other places. And uh, we, we were having a staff uh, meeting over a year ago in our offices in Manhattan. We were praying together during part of that meeting. And one of the things we were praying about was whether or not Orchard Group should ever help start a new church in any of the cities of Europe. 
you know, we, we'd been involved in New York and the Northeast and other places. We were praying about, should we ever go to Europe and help start new churches there? And while we were praying about that, one of our guys, uh, Brent Storms, our director, his phone beeped or buzzed or something. He got a message that came in. Uh, we, you know, ignored it and kept praying because we're pretty spiritual that way. And uh, when we finished up our prayer time, uh, Brent looked down at his phone, checked the message. And the message, this is weird, this doesn't happen to me very often. The message was from a pastor in Arizona that we knew. And when he checked the message, basically it was this. We have a guy on our team here in Arizona who is a native of Ireland. And he's been here working with our church for a while. He has a desire to go back to Ireland and start a church in his home city, a place that is in spiritual bankruptcy. He wants to go back there and start a church. We don't really know how to do that. Would Orchard Group ever consider helping somebody start a new church in a city in Ireland? And so, of course, Brent called back right away and said, well, we've been praying about that, but we're waiting for a sign from God. Sorry, we can't do that. No. That's not what happened. We're dense sometimes, and we're not that dense. That's not what happened. Um, we ended up meeting Dermot, uh, this, this man from Limerick, Ireland. We got to know him. We went through our kind of normal stages of getting to know each other. And now he and his family are back in Limerick, Ireland, preparing to, uh, to start a new church sometime probably early next year. And again, I, I don't know exactly how God works. Uh, there's different theories on how much he's involved in every little thing that happens. But I've got to think something's going on there, right? There's something providential happening when pieces of a puzzle come together uh, just like that, just so. Uh, it was pretty exciting to, to, to be part of that. So today we're going to be talking about providential relationships. And we're going to use that phrase in a slightly different way than how I've used it so far. Uh, we're going to be talking about people that God brings into our lives to help us take the next steps in our spiritual journey. So I'm not necessarily talking about God playing matchmaker uh, with, with, with couples or God playing matchmaker with church planters in cities. I'm talking more about what he does in our lives sometimes. People that come into our lives that, that help us take important steps uh, on our spiritual journey. We've been talking about um, things God does to build big faith in our lives. Last week, if you were here, Craig gave us a paintbrush. And if you remember, the point of that was uh, we were talking about spiritual teaching, biblical teaching, how that's one of the things God uses to build our faith. And it only works if we apply those things in our lives. That was the paintbrush, you know. You got to put the paint, get it out of the can, put it on the wall. You got to apply it. The same thing with teaching. Today we're going in a different direction, looking at these uh, providential relationships. Now, I I want us to look at a story from the pages of the Bible that, to me, illustrates everything we're going to look at today. It's a conversion story. It's a story about a man named Saul. That's S-A-U-L. And this man had had basically been impacted in a very harmful, negative way by the people he hung around with. And I don't mean he was out living the crazy, wild party life. It was actually just the opposite. He hung around with some dangerous religious people, some people who had some extreme militant ideas. We've seen some of that in our world in recent years, right? People who are trying to pursue a faith, but they end up becoming dangerous because they become extremists. They become militant. They become dangerous in, in how they try to live out their faith. This guy named Saul, that was his story. He had hung around with some people who had influenced him to become quite dangerous. A violent person who who was out to persecute people who followed Christ, basically. We're going to see in his story that he had a dramatic conversion experience. And as a result of that experience, part of what happened was God sent a person into his life, a man named Ananias. And that person uh, was providential for him. A person who helped him make major changes in his entire way of looking at the world 
And this guy named Saul would end up becoming the greatest missionary, I think it's safe to say, in the history of the world. The guy we know is Paul, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul. And the story will kind of hit every little area of this and illustrate what we want to look at. So let, let me just share the story with you from Acts chapter 9. We'll have it up on the screen if you want to follow along. Um, and just see the power of providential relationships in this story. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. How about that for an explanation of what he did? Uh, he, he was going after Christians and threatening to kill them. I mean, well, let's just cut to the chase. That's what he was doing. He, he was a dangerous person. And he went to the high priest. I want you to notice, he, he was influenced by other people. There was a, a damaging aspect of the relationships he was involved in. He didn't just get these ideas on his own. Other people had influenced him. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, which is a fancy way of saying if he found any Christians there, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So this guy was out to arrest people because they were following Christ. And, and he intended to do more than just arrest them. He was breathing out murderous threats against them. Um, as he went along the way, um, picking up in verse 3, as he neared Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. I've never had this experience, anybody? This, this is pretty uh, unusual stuff that God does from time to time in history. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now, this was at the time in history Jesus had been on the earth, had died, had come back to life, had ascended. It was shortly after that that this story takes place. The voice said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now, get up and go in the city, and I'll show you what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. Notice Saul had some company with him. It wasn't just himself here. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And they led him by hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blinded, and he did not eat or drink. So this guy uh, was out on a dangerous mission, influenced by the high priest at the time, influenced by these people who were with him, influenced by the people who had trained him to be a dangerous extremist person. And now God intervenes in his life in this dramatic way. Now, interestingly enough, the same guy... Saul, who, who just experienced this, years later, I told you he would become one of the greatest missionaries, if not the greatest missionary in the history of the world. He would write a big portion of the Bible we have today, the New Testament at least, and listen to some words he would say later. And listen to this in light of the story we just heard. This is from uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. He would write, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Have you ever heard that? Some of you are having flashbacks to your parents like years ago or maybe your parents recently saying that. Remember, bad company corrupts good character. This is a, a phrase that Paul threw out there. Actually, after he had become Paul, he was Saul. This is not a phrase he came up with, actually. It was from a Greek poet, but uh, he used this phrase. And I have to think he was reflecting on his own life when he wrote this, that he knew firsthand what bad company could do to a person because that had been his own story. Some of you are thinking, bad company, they, they might corrupt good character, but man, they rock, right? <laughs> Some of you from the 70s, classic rock era, will appreciate that. All right. Uh, but, but anyway, but let, let's take this and put it in our own lives a little bit. I, I want you to think about, and if you want to follow this in, in your outline, you can. I want you to think about your own life and try to answer a question, uh, you know, either by writing it down or at least by registering in your mind. Uh, and this is the question. I almost never arrived where I am today on my spiritual journey because of blank. 
And the blank is supposed to contain a person's name or maybe multiple names. Uh, Wherever you are in the journey, if you're following Christ and have been for a while, if you're still new to that and trying to figure it out, wherever you are, I almost never arrived where I am today because of blank. And and this could be a lot of different people. It could be family members who, uh, who just never instilled faith in you in any way. It could be maybe family members who did believe in God, but it was a little warped. It was a little off. It came with a lot of baggage. And because of that, you almost weren't here today. It could be because of somebody who harmed you more, more you know, obviously. Something somebody did to you, an abusive person in the past. You almost never found the place you are spiritually because of that. Maybe an intellectual person who convinced you that it's silly to believe in God. Or, or maybe an addicted person who passed on a bad habit to you or, or pushed you down the road to, to develop your own bad habits. Maybe it's just people who never bothered with you. But who would you say in your past, I know it's not a pleasant thought, I almost never arrived where I am today because of blank. Uh, That's the story of Saul. That's the story of all of us to some degree. The danger, uh, uh, the the negative impact of dangerous relationships. But I I don't want to stay there too long. I want to get positive here today. The real point of today's message is the opposite. The positive potential for providential relationships. That's a mouthful. But let's go back to the story for a minute and see, uh, you know, after God intervened here in Saul's life, there was a person who God sent to help him. Verse 10 in Acts chapter 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. Yeah, I bet he was praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. And Ananias has a great reaction. It would have been mine, too. Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man. All the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And and I won't read all the rest of it. But he went. He went and he was able to to, to heal Saul of his blindness. He was able to uh, introduce a, a greater understanding of the things of Christ. Saul was baptized, he started eating again, and things got better in a hurry. Uh, This was a providential relationship, literally. God sent somebody into his life to help him take his next step. So, again, I want us to think about this in our own lives and play another fill-in-the-blank game, uh, this time in a more positive light. And that would be, uh, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for blank. And again, this is a name, not not some thing, but a name or, or a group of names. Who is it that You wouldn't be here today, maybe literally, maybe you wouldn't be at Princeton Community Church today, or maybe it's more general, you wouldn't be where you are today on the spiritual journey, you wouldn't be following Christ, or you at least wouldn't be open to struggling with with figuring out what this is all about, if it were not for blank, somebody who has had a positive impact on your life. I meet very few people who, who don't have somebody, really. I've met one guy, in fact, in my life who says he came to know Christ completely on his own, studied his way into it. He's either very strange or he's not completely aware of his story. I'm not sure which it is. I tend to think most of us have somebody who has influenced us in some way. Now, since I asked this question of you, I I tried to wrestle with this the last week or so and try to think who those people would be in my life. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for blank. And there's lots of ways I could answer this. I could go back to my parents because they did instill faith in me as a kid, at least on some level. So I have to give them some credit for that. I could go back to some people when I was a kid who, uh, who made faith more interesting and not just boring and traditional. Those people certainly 
should make the list. But there's two names that stick out in my mind. In my adult life, people who have, if it weren't for them, I really don't know that I would be right here right now. I wouldn't be where I am today. Hopefully I would have landed somewhere that was okay, but I wouldn't be where I am today. One is a guy named Paul Williams. A few of you may know him. Uh, he, he works with Orchard Group. He influenced me a lot back in the 1990s when I first worked with that organization. Uh, he was the director of the organization. This is, this is how I remember it. We had offices right next to each other uh, on Long Island, and he, he would go off uh, speaking for our organization, raising money, recruiting leaders, all this. He would come back from these long trips and had been plenty of travel time, uh, time on planes, and he would read. And he would read really interesting spiritual books, not some of the stuff that, uh, not, not some of the everyday shallow stuff you find, but these really interesting spiritual books. And he would come to my office and he would lay them on my desk when, when he had read a good one. And he would say, you know, this was really interesting. If you want to read it, give it a look. Let me know what you think. So eventually I would start reading through some of those books and he would scribble all of his notes in the back. And I, I would start like looking at his notes and reading the book. And I would show up in his office after reading one of those books and some days I would go in and say, I don't agree with any of this. This is nonsense. This goes against everything I've ever thought. And we'd have great discussions. And other times I would go in and say, man, I have always thought this, and I've never read anybody else in the world who I thought thought this way about this issue. This is encouraging to me. We would have these amazing talks. I probably read 30 books over three or four years, and we would sit and talk about them. And those books expanded my way of seeing the world. They expanded my view of spiritual things. They got me out of kind of the rut that I had been in. And help me to see things in a bigger way. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for Paul Williams. I, I owe him something for that. There's another guy, though, that uh, this one's even more interesting. A, a man named Mike Steele. I don't know how to find Mike Steele today. I lost track of him seven or eight years ago. And he's not a social media guy, so I don't know how to hunt him down. I can't find him. Uh, but he's one of the people who influenced my life. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for him. Uh, he's a strange man. I will say that. Uh, and I didn't like him the first time I met him. I, I was, like, leading a... a workshop on how to plant new churches back about 10 years ago, or maybe even a little bit more than that. And, and he attended this conference I, I was leading, and uh, he asked a question, raised his hand and asked a question that totally sidetracked the session, and the whole thing went south. And I was like, that guy's a jerk, you know, why would he do that? And yet, I, I got to know him better after that, and I, I think I even probably told him that I didn't like him a whole lot, and, and maybe in subtle terms. And, and the way he responded to me was amazing. He responded with unconditional love toward me, which I hadn't experienced that too much with people I didn't like in the past. And as I got to know him, uh, he became a mentor to me. He really taught me how to get my faith from stuck here in my head to more here in my heart. Now, you can ask Rebecca. I still have some work to do on that. But uh, he, he really helped me break through a little bit on this. He really helped me understand what love really meant. And uh, was a person who I saw sacrifice to help myself and other people. So... I wouldn't be here today if it were not for Mike Steele, even though he hijacked my session years ago. Um, who would you say, who are the people in your life? Who is the person? You wouldn't be here today if it were not for blank. I hope you'll at least register at least one name about that. Because the whole point of today is that the key point is that God uses human relationships to impact us, to, to influence us, to, to impact our faith in him. It's one of the things he uses to uh, grow big faith. Uh, Proverbs 13.20, a, a collection of old wisdom sayings in the Bible. That's what the book of Proverbs is. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Again, it sounds like something my dad might have said when I was a kid, but there's truth in it, right? In the story of Saul, we see that this play out in his life. 
And I think in our own stories, we see it play out as well. So what I want to do uh, with this now is just kind of try to figure out how we can take advantage of this, how we can take this principle and really make it work in our lives. How, how can we get the paintbrush out and, and apply this, this idea of providential relationships? Because you can't snap your fingers and make the person who's going to change your life for the next 10 years suddenly show up in front of you, right? It's not that simple. I think there's a couple things I, I want to challenge us to do. The first is this. Intentionally put yourself in environments with the potential for providential relationships. That's a mouthful, but I think you get what I'm saying, right? Intentionally put yourself in environments with the potential for providential relationships. You can't make them happen, but you can up the odds that you will connect with people who might help you take the next step in your faith journey. Uh, Let me say it another way. I think this really sums it up, is that we need small groups. Uh, We need small groups, and I'm using that word in its generic sense, or that phrase. I I don't just mean we need the programs that are uh, listed in here in in your bulletin today, although they're a great example of what I'm talking about. In in the middle here, all the the small groups that are part of Princeton Community Church for different people, different ages, different life situations, that's one example of a place where you might bump into a providential relationship if, if you make yourself available. But I'm really using the phrase in the more generic sense. Any smaller group of people who are on the faith journey together, uh, if you're spending time in those groups, the opportunity can come for a providential relationship or two to develop. We have to put ourselves in those environments. I really believe this to be true because I I have this conviction that church really doesn't happen so much in rows like we're in today. I'm not saying don't come because I think what we're doing here is very important. But that's not really the heart of what church is. Church happens in circles more than it does in rows. Church happens in uh, living rooms more than it does in auditoriums, right? Church happens in coffee shops more than it happens on stages. We need what we're doing here today, but but church at its essence uh, isn't a place or a program or a presentation. It's a people, right? It's God's people who who happen to be on God's mission together. It's in those environments where we rub shoulders with someone who may end up influencing our lives who may end up being a providential relationship to us. I have to tell you a story about a church that, that experienced this. And don't worry, this church is not planning to do anything about what, what I'm getting ready to describe here. But, but, but this is an interesting story of a church in, in a neighborhood called Norwood in Cincinnati, Ohio. Norwood is, is a pretty rough urban neighborhood. Uh, in that uh, neighborhood, there's an old Catholic church parish. Uh, they had a beautiful building, in fact, called St. Elizabeth's that was built in 1903 a little bit before my time. Uh, The neighborhood changed, though, over the decades, and eventually uh, the church dwindled down to nothing. Uh, The Catholic Church decided that was a troubled neighborhood. They couldn't keep a parish going, and they pretty much abandoned that building. Uh, About 15, 20 years ago, a group of people from the Vineyard Church decided to go into that neighborhood and and to get a church going again. And they were able to buy the the St. Elizabeth's from the uh, Catholic Church at at a pretty low price because there was really no use for the building. And they started a church, and they were reaching out to the neighborhood, and they had people coming on Sunday. But something unexpected happened. It was, I mentioned it was a historic building. The building was in terrible repair. And it wasn't a building where you could bring down all the handy people in the church and fix it up over a weekend because it was a historic building. It required uh, more attention than what the average person could give. It required expertise to repair, and therefore it required a lot of money to repair. And uh, this young church could not afford 
to fix up St. Elizabeth's. It was beyond their ability to afford. And finally, it got into such disrepair that the city of Cincinnati uh, condemned the building. In the middle of a week, said, you cannot have church here this Sunday. Well, the pastor was in a bit of a panic about that, as you can might, uh, might imagine. And here's what he decided to do. He decided this Sunday, he found four families that were willing to host something at their house. He said, this Sunday, we are going to meet in these four homes. Show up at one. Pick one that's most convenient for you, is the word that went out to the church. Show up, and this is going to be our church for the time being. We're going to meet in these four homes. Now, I know that sounds a little intimidating, and I'm sure it was. It wasn't the way they planned things, but that's what they did. And what happened was their church started meeting in circles, not in rows. It had to. It wasn't some big plan. They had no choice. And people started interacting with each other as they interacted with God. And providential relationships started happening all over the place. People started influencing each other in ways that they never had before. Uh, well, as the story goes, they eventually raised money, and they fixed up St. Elizabeth's. And, uh, but at first, they didn't go back there on Sunday mornings. They used it for community outreach and other events because they had found something in these small little meetings in each other's homes on Sunday mornings that was powerful. Years later, they, they decided to go back to using St. Elizabeth's on Sunday morning, but they continued to meet in their homes because that had become a key part to who they were as a community. They found providential relationships in these smaller gatherings. So, I'm not suggesting we do that with Princeton Community Church by any means. However, I am suggesting that we need small groups in order to find these kind of relationships. Well, second challenge that, that I'd like to make for us on how to imply this to our lives is this. Make yourself available to God to be that person in someone else's life. Make yourself available to be that person to somebody else. In other words, this isn't just about getting. The providential relationship idea isn't just put yourself in a position where you receive. But put yourself and make yourself available to be that to somebody else. Because honestly, no matter where you are in the journey, there's probably somebody who could gain something from what you've experienced. Whether you're a veteran or whether you're a rookie at this whole thing, uh, there's somebody who, who could glean from what you have experienced. And again, you can't make it happen, but you can make yourself available. One more time, back to the story of Saul, uh, because we see this is what happened to him. We've made it finally down to verse 20 of chapter 9. At once, Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, so after his providential encounter with Ananias, he quickly became that person to many other people. He became a providential godsend to other people in their journey. In fact, he did that in ways that most of us will probably never have the opportunity to do. Because I mentioned he became the most influential missionary in the history of the church. I think it's safe to say. In fact, if there was such a thing as spiritualancestry.com, I don't think there is, that there was spiritualancestry.com, where you could go on like that week around Christmas when you can't find anything to do, you could go on there and uh, pay a little money and find out your spiritual ancestry, trace your roots back to, you know, whoever influenced you, whatever name you wrote down, find out who influenced them, find out who, if you could trace it all the way back, I bet an overwhelming majority of us would find this guy, Saul, who later became Paul, we would find this guy on our list of somebody who somewhere along the line is part of our spiritual heritage. He was the first guy to ever, at least parts of Europe, to ever take the good news of Jesus to parts of Europe. 
we believe. Um, and you can trace it back and see how he influenced more people than he could have ever dreamed. He became that person directly in many people's lives, but indirectly to millions of people. And that's kind of how it works when we make ourselves available to be that person today. So I could ask two more questions. I, I won't spend much time on it. But I could say, ask, have you asked this. Blank uh, would say they are walking with God today because of me. Or I could say, this one's a little bit more sobering. Blank would say they're not walking with God today because of me, right? Uh, I don't want to depress us again, but we could ask those questions. And this isn't a matter of, uh, of becoming an obnoxious person who everywhere you go, you're beating everybody up about where they are with God. This is about making yourself available to be that person in someone else's life. Just to make yourself available occasionally when you get to know somebody well enough that you've earned the right to not be afraid to have a little bit of an awkward conversation. Just ask them what's really going on in their life, how they're really doing. When you notice things that don't seem to be going well, just ask them. How's it going with your husband? How's it going with your wife? I notice every time we're together, you drink a lot. What's going on? Are you okay? Being willing to take a little bit of an awkward step. To be available, to be that person in someone else's life. Well, I, I want to wrap this up with, with, with one final story. It, again, it goes back to the early days of Princeton Community Church. Uh, the first ever youth group, in fact, uh, of Princeton Community Church back in the mid-1990s. There was a young man in that group named John. He was a high school guy. I, I guess he'd be in his 30s by now. I, I, I've lost track of John. I don't know where he is. Uh, but, but John, on the day he was baptized, there was a testimony he gave that, that I found a written version of it. And it's not dramatic. You're not going to need a Kleenex when I read this. But it illustrates what I've been talking about. It's short. Here it is. John wrote this. A year ago, I did not believe in God. My dad and I like to debate, argue, discuss, or whatever you want to call it. And I can remember arguing, how can anyone believe in God? It doesn't make sense. It's stupid. Or whatever. At this time, my family started coming to this church. I was challenged by what happened on Sunday. And then I met Don Keener, and this guy would not leave me alone. It's not as spooky as it sounds, but uh, this guy would not leave me alone. Uh, he kept calling me. If I had a tennis match, he'd be there. But I'm glad he didn't leave me alone. As I got to know Don better and got more and more involved with the youth group, I began developing a relationship with Christ. And recently I gave my life to Christ. Again, we're not going to have to pass out Kleenex. It's not that kind of testimony. But do you see what's happening? He didn't believe in God. A year later, he did, and he credits it to a providential relationship. Somebody who came in his life and cared about him, paid attention to him, had conversations with him. And I think it works that way more than we think. So I just want to challenge us. Put yourself in environments where that might happen. Somebody might come along to lead you to the next step. And be available. Be ready to be that in somebody else's life. It might happen in a way that really surprises you. You might be amazed how much God really can use you to help somebody else. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the people you sent in my life. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for some of them. I don't know exactly how things would have turned out, but it would have been much different. God, I pray for each of us that we will be aware of that and that we will just um, acknowledge and prepare and, and organize our lives around this idea that you use people. You use us to influence each other on this journey that we're on. I pray, God, that you'll bring big faith to each of us. If any of us sort of just starting on that journey, I pray that we will reach out to those around us here who are willing 
to help with that. And we pray all this in the strong name of Christ.